This is Bill Woods up here in Sun Valley, Arizona, and I wanted to talk to you today because things are getting so wild in our world and people are talking the prospects of World War III and all that. I, I think you need to know the information I'm going to share that there is a sin that God cannot forgive. I was pastor of Emmanuel Wesleyan Church in Portland, Oregon. The church building was located on a very busy Division Street. I had a sign located on the street to advertise my sermon title so people would know what I was going to preach that Sunday. I raised all kinds of reactions when I posted this sermon title, The Sin That God Can't Forgive, on that sign. I received letters challenging, condemning, protesting my title. It made people angry to think that I thought there was something that God couldn't forgive. One lady stopped her car and came to the parsonage located behind the church to make her protest to me in person. I wasn't at home, so she vented on Marty. Poor Marty told her she knew nothing about the sermon and she would have to find and the lady would have to find me. And so the lady showed up at 7 a.m. Sunday morning while I was opening the church for the day and she was determined to confront me. I invited her to come back to worship service to hear the content of the sermon. She did come and once she heard the sermon she settled down. However, she returned to monitor my sign and sermon titles for several weeks after that. Because we're living, like I said, in very dangerous days, you need to know this information. I want to revisit the topic today, and I want you to know about the sin that God cannot forgive. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me assure you, that God can and will forgive any sin, adultery, stealing, blasphemy, even murder. People say, well, God can't forgive me because I've been too sinful. Listen, people evil, more evil than you have been have found forgiveness from Christ and are with him in eternity now. Remember, though, that only Jesus Christ can forgive sins. Sometimes people think they can find another source, that there's many roads to heaven. There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to uh, the Father except through me. So the blood of Jesus Christ is shed for us, and I want you to know it can go deeper in your life than anything that Satan can put in there. The sin God can't forgive is unconfessed sin. Wesley Allen Dodd was an American serial killer and child molester. He'd been called one of the most evil killers in history. His execution on January 5, 1993 was the first legal hanging in the United States since 1965. He was born July 3, 1961 in Toppenish, Washington. He died January 5, 1993 in Walla Walla, Washington. He had been sentenced to capital punishment because of what he had done. That was his penalty. He was apprehended on November 13, 1989. Wesley told Dodd, uh, Wesley Allen Dodd murdered and raped three young children. One was only four years old. When he was captured, he was remorseful and begged to receive the death penalty to make sure he'd never hurt anyone again. Washington State 
complied, and he was executed in 1993. In, pres in prison, he confessed his sin uh, to Jesus Christ because he needed a Savior, and he was forgiven, and uh, God had taken him into his kingdom. His last words were, I was once asked by somebody, I don't remember who, if there was any way sex offenders could be stopped. I said, no, I was wrong. I was wrong when I said there was no hope, no peace. There is hope. There is peace. I found both in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to the Lord and you'll find peace. Another monster was Ted Bundy, who murdered 30 young women. Dr. James Dobson presented God's plan of salvation to him, and he confessed his sins to Jesus and accept Christ before he died. Jeffrey Donner was a serial killer and sex offender who murdered and dismembered 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991. He even cannibalized some of his victims. He was led to the Lord while in prison, and then he was bludgeoned to death by a fellow inmate at Columbia Correctional Institute in Portage, Wisconsin. If Christ can provide salvation for people like these monsters, certainly he can save anyone who wants to be saved. But the fact is, there is a sin that God can't forgive, and that is unconfessed sin. If a person tries to hide his sin or glaze it over, hoping it'll just go away, he'll face that sin in judgment. God can't and won't forget what, forgive what sin isn't asked to be forgiven. This generation has tried to streamline repentance and confession to a point that is so easy it doesn't mean anything anymore. A trip or two to the altar or to the prayer room, some empty half-hearted phrases, uh, a tear or two, or maybe not, and we are on our way to heaven. Often it didn't mean much, and we didn't get much. There might be some confession, but no real repentance. Maybe just temporary relief for our pressure, on our pressure valve because we've opened up about something that had been bothering us. No wonder people have such a hard time living a Christian life. At most, they just had a vaccination keeping them from getting the real thing, which would be a close walk with Jesus Christ. The question is asked over and over, if God forgives our sins and cleanses us, how come do we still have areas of defeat in our lives and places where demons still bother us and destroy our relationship with God? Well, too often we stick a band-aid on an area needing radical surgery. We shortcut God and really don't confess the deep sin and the areas of need in our lives. Therefore, we suffer defeat instead of gaining victory. The biblical definition of repentance is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what God has commanded. The word denotes the act of being repentant for one's misdeeds, atoning for those misdeeds, and having a strong determination to forsake those misdeeds. That would include remorse, resolution, and repentance. Well, what, what are the steps to repentance? The first step is responsibility. We must recognize that we've done wrong. Let me put it another way. We must recognize that we have sinned. We don't like that word, but it's the word we've got to use. Second step is regret. We must 
have remorse for doing wrong, for sinning, and for the pain and problems that we've caused. Third step is resolve. We must resolve to be committed never to repeat the act regardless of the temptations or situation. Often a seeker prays until there's some emotional relief, but never goes so far as to actually repent and quit sinning. No wonder people have a hard time living the Christian life. They've never been converted. Therefore, we suffer defeat instead of finding victory. Uh, there was a woman uh, when I was at uh, Deer Valley Church, the Nazarene, and I'd gotten into some deliverance ministry, and I got a call from the pastor at Coolidge, Arizona, and he said he had a woman out there that he didn't know how to help her, and, and so would I come out. Well, I came out, and we started the deliverance service. I asked her to identify all the sins that had opened doors in her life, I asked her if she was ready to repent of these sins, asked Jesus to forgive her, and then ask uh, or re command Satan to get out of her life and cover those open doors with the blood of Jesus Christ. And she said yes, she thought she was ready. But she refused to confess her real involvement with Satan because she didn't want to admit how bad the problem was. And so we prayed, and I thought she had gotten victory, but once I left her with un, uh, the unconfessed sin in her life that she was hiding, Satan had a heyday. She went off, and she began to attack her family. She got a gun. I got a call from the pastor saying, I don't know what happened, but she has gone nuts. I went back out, and we confronted her, and she then began to confess that she was ashamed of the things that she had done, and she tried to hide them from me. Well, that's fine if she hides them from me. She could not hide them from God, and Satan knew that that was in her heart too. You know, there are four things to understand about unconfessed sin. Hidden sin is a major roadblock to the flow of love and joy in your life. Trying to live happily over the top of unconfessed sin is like trying to force water through a pipe clogged with rotting debris. Some water might get through the blockage, but it's tainted in color and smells, and its flow is slower and smaller than normally expected. My grandmother used to laugh as she told about her grandfather clearing a hose from a cistern that was by his house that carried water to the sink inside the house. He knew there must be debris clogging it because it slowed down and wouldn't, and, and wouldn't uh, hardly even flow. And so he put the end of the hose in his mouth and sucked really hard and all of a sudden something came into his mouth and he found it was a dead mouse that came out of the hose into his mouth. I, I used to say, ick, ugh, gag, it's terrible. But, you know, the mouse had gotten in the citron, somehow gotten in the hose, and caused, the, caused it to not have the free flow it needed to have. There's a beautiful lodge near Yellowstone Park in Wyoming. One day they started having trouble with tainted water from a fresh water spring that they'd used for years. Always had wholesome, cold, clear water that tasted great. But... Uh, the, the spring that's, this spring that supplied the resort, the water began to taste like iodine, and it didn't flow freely like it always had. 
And so they decided to try to find out what was going on. When they explored the problem, they found a dead buffalo lying in the spring. When the filth and rottenness uh, was cleaned out, the water flowed full and pure again. You know, it's that way with unconfessed sins in our lives. Even the finest moments are tainted by hidden sin. Life becomes small and choked when unconfessed sin is hidden away in the soul. Enjoyment is destroyed by guilt and fear that we might be found out. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story called The Beating Heart. He said an unnamed narrator opens the story by addressing the reader and claiming that he is nervous but not mad, meaning crazy. He says that he is going to tell a story in which he will defend his sanity, yet confesses to having killed an old man. His motivation was neither passion nor desire for money, but rather a fear of the man's pale blue eyes. Again, he insists that he is not crazy because his, his cool and measured actions, through, though criminal, are not based on those of a madman. Every night he went to the old man's apartment and secretly observed the man sleeping. In the morning he would behave as if everything were normal. After a week of this activity, the narrator decided somewhat randomly that the time is right actually to kill the old man. When the narrator arrives late on the eighth night, the old man wakes up and cries out, and the narrator remains still, stalking the old man as he sits awake and frightened. The narrator understands how frightened the old man is, having also experienced the lonely terror of, his, of the night. Soon the narrator hears a dull pounding that he interprets as the old man's terrified heartbeat. Worried that a neighbor might hear the loud thumping, he attacks and kills the old man. He then dismembers the body and hides the pieces under the floorboards in the bedroom. He is careful not to leave even a drop of blood on the floor. As he finishes his job, a clock strikes the hour of four. At the same time, the narrator hears a knock at the street door. The police have arrived having been called by a neighbor who heard the old man shriek. The narrator is careful to be chatty and appear normal. He leads the officers all over the house without acting suspiciously. At the height of his bravado, he even brings them into the old man's bedroom to sit down and talk at the scene of the crime. The policemen do not suspect a thing. The narrator is comfortable until he starts to hear a low thumping sound. He recognizes the low sound as the heart of the old man pounding away beneath the floorboards. He panics, believing that the policeman must also hear the sound and know his guilt. Driven mad by the idea that they are mocking his agony with their pleasant chatter, he confesses to the crime and shrieks at the men to rip up the floorboards. A young co-ed went away to school, changing story. Her roommates were disturbed over her strange irritability, sudden bursts of crying, a lack of concentration. She usually was happy, bubbly, and a good student. After three visits with her pastor, she exploded into tears and blurted out, I can't take it any longer. You won't tell anyone, will you? <coughs> After confessing a sin that would have stopped the flow of joy and 
anyone's life, prayer was made asking for God's forgiveness. Suddenly the other problems seemed to melt away when the sin was confessed to God and forgiven by God. You know, unconfessed sin cannot be lived down. Often people pretend to be happy, thinking sin will just go away if it's ignored long enough. It's like trying to grow rot out of potatoes. The Oregonian ran a story years ago about a man who had traveled 2,000 miles to see a former Oregon employer and confessed that he'd stolen a few dollars worth of tools from the country when he worked for from the company when he'd worked for them 10 years earlier. The employer had forgotten the theft. There was no record on the books. No court could have made a case against the man. The reporter had mixed feelings of amusement and admiration. But for the man, this was serious business. For 10 years, he had been beaten up by unconfessed sins, which wouldn't go away until he was made, made things right. Listen, sin cannot be worn out by ignoring it. It'll be overcome only through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Remember that what is not confessed now will be exposed on Judgment Day. Confession always involves willingness to make restitution. Confession is more than just being aware of sin. Confession involves forgiveness, and forgiveness can't be forced against someone who is unwilling to make amends. I've tried to bargain with God myself for an easier way on certain occasions, saying, well, God, you know, do I have to do it this way? Maybe it'll work this other way, only to find victory won't come until I do it God's way. You know, we sing the song, God's ways are best. I've found it so. Wherever he leads me, there I will go. That needs to be the motto of our life. Not every wrong can be made right, but many of them can, more than have been. The most rewarding words you can hear are, I'm sorry. The most satisfying words are, I guess I was wrong. Oh, what sweet release. I remember when I was pastoring in Arlington, Oregon, there was a situation where there was a grandson that was working for his granddad in a service station, and, and he had been helping himself to money out of the till. And then he came to me one day and said, I don't know what to do. He said, I don't know if Grandpa will press charges against me. I can hardly face him. I said, well, we need to confront the problem. First, we talked to God about it. We asked God for forgiveness. And then we went down to the service station and we asked Grandpa to forgive. And Granddad said, well, he knew that there had been money missing. And he knew that this guy had been taking money out of the till. And he just hoped that one day he would come and confess it. And Granddad said, I do forgive, but don't ever let it happen again. You know, only God can forgive our sins. There's no real help on a psychiatrist's couch or in a counseling room, not even in the pastor's study. Mental hospitals are filled with people taking shock treatments and exotic remedies to no avail. Forgiveness is divine. It comes only from God. Listen to David's prayer in Psalm 51, 2 through 12. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. 
you will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. David knew that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, her husband. He knew how badly his sinful lust had hurt them, but his actual sin was against God. The psychiatrist may help uncover the hidden problem caused by sin. The psychologist may help the person express his problems in a non-judgmental atmosphere. The pastor may lead the person to go to God for help and grace, but only God forgives sin, and God's power is limited to sins which are confessed to him. Not even God can forgive an unconfessed sin. Do you have any in your life today? God wants to give you victory and free you from the guilt of sin, he can't until you confess to him and ask his forgiveness. Again, I don't think this is a time in history when we ought to be, uh, you know, fooling around with our, our, our relationship with God. I believe we ought to be honest with God and we ought to have God's forgiveness in our lives. And then whatever happens, we will know that we will be with God through all eternity. If you don't know him today, would you confess your sins to him? Would you repent? Would you turn your life around and begin living like God wants you to live? Uh, you say, well, I can't do that. Well, I want you to know God will help you to have the strength to do that if you'll turn your life to him and ask him to forgive you and be your savior. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray that you'll be with each one that's listening to this podcast. We know some, Lord, have never confessed their sins to you and they need to be saved. I pray, God, that you'll help them today to confess their sins to Jesus Christ, to find the peace that only comes through you. Lord, there's some that have unconfessed sins. They've been trying to pretend that they've got a re relationship with Jesus Christ, but they know there's something wrong and Satan keeps defeating them. And I pray, God, that you help them to be honest and confess everything to you and find the victory that only you can give. And Father, there are people that need to, to make the total commitment to you, to allow you to come in and be Lord of their lives. They've asked you to forgive them of their sins, but Father, they still need to go one step further and give their lives entirely to you and live as you want them to, I pray. Lord, help each one of us that we might draw close to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Again, you can contact me. Actually, you can text me back in the, the format if you got this on your telephone. You can text me back in the format that's there, or you can get a hold of me in uh, email. My, lower, my email is lowercase r-e-v-w-m w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com or you could uh, 
write to me at Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. I also have the website where you can hear this sermon, and not only this one, but all the sermons that I've preached uh, since I started this online ministry. That is lowercase churchofthegalilean.com. And then in there, you'll probably find where it says there's still power in the blood. If you would click on that, you'll be able to find the, the website. You'll be able to see the sermons. God bless you. I hope you have victory in your life, and I'm praying for you. And uh, appreciate you.